Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Homecoming Podcast. Here at Homecoming, we provide the space for Asians, Asian Americans, and mixed heritage Asians of all backgrounds to share their stories, experiences, and insights about a variety of different topics. I'm your host, Angel Rena, and today on Homecoming, I'm here with John Huang, who is a sophomore at Earlham College in Richmond, Indiana, but is currently Zooming in from his home in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And today he is going to share his story of how and why he is so interested in politics, why he's so adamant about getting young people out there involved in political action and civic engagement, and also how his LGBTQ identity inspires him and motivates him to do so as well. And it's very fitting because this episode will be released um, soon after Inauguration Day 2021. So by the time you're listening to this, Inauguration Day will have passed. And really, who knows uh, what will have happened in the country by then. But these issues we're talking about today are incredibly relevant and will probably be very fresh on your minds. So, John, hello. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on and so glad that we're finally getting to talk today. Um, You know, before we get into all the details and the questions, would you mind first introducing yourself and sharing the story of who you are and just, you know, how you got to be where you are today? Thank you so much for having me. I just want to say that I love uh, this podcast, giving a room and center space for Asian Americans to finally elevate their voices. And I also want to thank you very deeply for um, this is such an honor because I I don't I don't think myself is that important. So this is uh, this is very uh, this is very comforting to me. And so uh, just for the basics, uh, quintessential introduction to myself, I would say I I am Vietnamese American. My both of my parents, um, after uh, the Vietnam War, both immigrated to here, um, and then they eventually settled in New Mexico. Um, and I would say, I guess my upbringing, um, I've been just like a lost wanderer. I didn't really understand where I wanted to go, where I wanted to be. I just kind of just going and chilling with the flow, um, just because I just I didn't have any prominent sense of direction. Um, I. Yeah, I would just say like, I, I really, I mean, it, it took a while, but um, I guess things just go in with time and gradually, um, I I just, I don't know. I feel like there's certain calls that you might just have to pick up in life. And so I've, I don't know, I look through, I, I, to this day, I still look life through a very humorous lens. I like to laugh. I like to be anywhere that's um, very joyful and just, all like the warm glittery stuff and I yeah I think that's the vibe I always put myself in um, whenever I can great yeah I mean I don't I haven't known you for too long but um every single conversation that we've had even over text you've just been extremely you just have a very warm vibrant vibe very kind like you're, you're just very kind and very generous and I uh very much appreciate talking to you uh even if it's over text so I can definitely vouch for that um but John um I also want to ask you like how are you feeling post election specifically um to all the listeners we're recording this episode at the end of November so you know this election was earlier this month but also there are a lot of remnants of the election still happening right now with lawsuits, recounts, etc. Um, but yeah, John, since we're going to be talking and delving into a lot of political issues this episode, um, how, how have you been feeling post-election? Uh, what, what were your thoughts and feelings um, during the election itself too? Yeah, I would say it's like sort of like uh, coming out of a war and I guess re- having to feel those battle scars once again, just because, um, I mean, like in 2016, I mean, bringing it back, I, I just, in 2016, I felt, you know, I'm pretty sure a lot of others felt too, that there was this sense of like endangerment. It was, it wasn't physical, but like, it was like this, like closing in on, on your fundamental freedoms and especially at the very core and center of who you are. And I think that's where um, in this year, people still, actually people, probably felt that urgency just a lot stronger and so I would just say like I mean 
I, I didn't ask for this. And for those who are doing the finals this stuff at November, Lord, <laughs> they, <laughs> you triumph because this, I mean, I've, I've, I don't think like uh, there's been a whole, I mean, like every other month was just as disastrous as the other one, but I felt specifically November you had, I mean, we are having post COVID spikes, um, the election. And then on top of that, you have to manage and, and deal with school. And it's like, it's like not like, it's like, I describe it as my own like hell trifecta. I did not ask for this. This is too much. And sometimes I just like want to barrel up and I'm just like, I'm, I'm done with the world. I'm ready to go and be my, on my own secluded island. Mm-hmm. I feel that. Yeah, honestly, like I, I saw this post on Facebook recently that was like, like you try being a student during this like crazy time. And I was like, thank you. Like finally some appreciation and some empathy because I mean, I don't want to like throw a pity party for all the students out there, but honestly, like it's actually been like very difficult to be a student, have to think about everything that's happening in the world, um, thinking about COVID-19 constantly and, and, you know, the possibility of your, you know, your friends and family members uh, being infected and how dangerous that is. And then um, also having to take tests and concentrate on class. So um, to all the students out there, like huge congratulations uh, for getting through, you know, finals and stuff like that, if you're already past that. Um, but something else that I wanted to ask you about uh, in regards to the election, John, and how you're feeling post-election is, uh, I know there were a lot of celebrations and such uh, after uh, President-elect Joe Biden uh, won the election um and you know people were celebrate a lot of people were celebrating which you know they have the freedom to but uh something that came post-election and like post results that really worried me was uh, a lot of this rhetoric saying that uh, america is now saved like our democracy is now saved um i don't know it, it really worried me because i just don't want people to settle and, and be complacent. I think there's a lot that we still have to do. And just because, you know, a specific uh, person or a specific party won this time around doesn't mean that fight is over. So, uh, yeah, what do you think about that rhetoric that um, we're finally going to be okay? First of all, whoever is saying that, obviously, they, obviously the injustice is obviously invisible to them. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I feel like for those that don't go through the same prejudices, unfair, biased treatments, they don't, they don't have like the same like eyes as we do. I guess in the sense too, it's every year, and this bugs me so much, every year, like, yes, we are ordinary people. Yes, we are not in these very prominent positions of power, but that doesn't mean that we, we are powerless. I just want to put that out there. We're not powerless in front of these people. In fact, if it wasn't for us, those people at the motherfucking top not even have no power. And I, I hope, I mean, I hope people when they read like these dystopias, I know The Handmaid's Tale is one that like really, till to this day, like really grip ties with me is that you always have to be very vigilant when there's these small gradual takings away of your fundamental freedoms and rights. Even if there's the most tiniest, once there's a reach of no return, it's like, we had all these chances. Where were you? And I guess another thing to add on top of that is just, uh, I saw this tweet and it was like, um, most people benefit from, from Black liberation because Black liberation is central to everyone's liberation. And I hope that people also realize that when one group is free, everyone is more free. Um, I just, and then in the sense of this too, I, I mean, People aren't that very politically aware, and I understand just because in this sphere, it's very competitive. Everyone's trying to claw each other out. Everyone's trying to dominate one another. And, and it's a very, like, very, very complex, like, it spans so wide that, like, to just be able to pinpoint on one thing, you have to understand this, and you have to understand the background of this and the history of that. And, I mean, people can have a starting place, but it's, it's, politics is not boring. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I mean to some of this, but. I would say, like, politics is how you are where you are. It, like, controls every fundamental aspect of your life. So to say that you don't care is to willingly submit and to be subjugated. 
Yeah, thank you so much, John, for that. Yeah, I also, like, I totally understand that politics can be very scary, and I, I get where, like, people are like, oh, nope, that's not for me. Reading the news is stressful. I don't want to be involved in this kind of stuff. Uh, but also, yeah, it is, it, it does influence essentially every part of our lives, you know, so I, like, you really have no choice but to be sort of immersed in it. Um, I, I also want to ask you, like, this is, this is your first time voting in, like, a presidential election, right? Yeah, and yeah, my first any election, actually. <laughs> any election, yay! Okay, same for me. Uh, and I thought, oh, it was just, like, I don't know, it felt so cool, like, it felt like such a momentous occasion. Um, but from your first time voting, uh, before we sort of get into the other political stuff, um, what do you feel like this election has taught you? And also, like, as a first time voter, uh, what are you, like, how, how do you feel like this election has motivated you or inspired you to be more politically active in the future? I would say is the reason why I would say a lot of people vote is because it just adds, it just changes, you know, your individual or collective agency. You feel like I, I, I mean, to me, at least to me, I try to vote with a social conscience just because I know that I'm probably in a better place than just probably lots more people. And I tell this over and over and over again, like you gotta remember like the Civil Rights Act of 1964, I believe was not too, like the, the Civil Rights era was not too long ago, not at all. Like you have to remember like in terms of history wise, this like this, this, this law that says we all could vote is still relatively young. And I, I hope, I mean, and, and the thing that I think pu that puts most people into this sort of like place of complacency is that they think that, oh, once, once we're there, um, it's always going to be there. But you always have to know that it can just be as vulnerable from the moment it has been established. And I think as well, too, is that like, I, I always try to reiterate this as much as I can possible that you got to, the reason you vote is that you can your 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 race or ethnicity or group or or yourself can move forward this country can move forward because if we don't have civil rights we're literally we're, we're getting nowhere we're, we're gonna get nowhere i and then the thing too is that when you vote i mean going back to like these old political philosophies you're giving people your consent to represent you or whatever community you're in just because you don't want to pick out willy-nilly people i mean like Oh my God, we are electing people who don't even know the three branches of government. And that is, I'm, I'm here and I, I, it just breaks my heart every time just because you don't know what agendas and what motives those people are having when they come into the most sacred of political institutions. And when they do enact these policies, it's like, you don't realize that even after they leave, we're still going to be affected by those. And those policies are sometimes very, like, the legacy of those policies are very, very, very hard to reverse. So that's why when I say go vote, I mean, like, this is not a game. This is, like, life or death for most people. Thank you, John. You're clearly very, very passionate. And uh, I want to go back and delve deeper into your uh, personal history because you're clearly very passionate about political issues. So when when you were growing up in New Mexico, um, what were some experiences that you personally had that pushed you to want to be politically engaged or go into politics in the future? Uh, they can also be experiences at Earlham as well. Um, the funny thing is, is that I, I didn't really have like, uh, I was, I, I didn't really have like a sort of like a natural route into it. Like I just, I, I didn't like discover and be like, oh my God, I'm so into this. Like, I, I mean, like, I, I like I said before, like, I, I really just had no sense of like, sometimes even back then, and like when I was even my younger self, I really wish there was like this, like, sort of like life handbook. And I could just flip through the pages and like, 
just go and follow that route. But I guess like thinking back when I was like a 16 year old teenager, like it just wasn't that easy. And so um, I would say like, even in like education, there is no like political, like, I mean like, yeah, they teach you like the most basic fundamentals, but other than that, there really is no like intriguing or very engaging ways to say like, you also can be involved in this very big democratic process. And so for me, Back in 2016, it's like, I even after, even like the night of the election and like, I, I had never felt this much like anxiety over like, I like, I really couldn't believe that like America would really choose this person, even after all his nasty, re like disgusting remarks, his like attitude and misdemeanors and just lies. And it was just, I don't, I, I never felt so more like just like at the center of just like hatred and vileness for just being who I was. So so you're saying that um, the 2016 election was really what sort of uh, jump-started your interest in politics? Pretty much just because you just, I mean, like you just, I, I mean, I don't know. I think people back then, they just felt like, they just they just want to feel safe in their own skin. They wanted to feel safe in who who were they who they were going to present themselves as, and I think people felt like a danger to that. Even now, like our like Asian Americans' belongings are just very conditional. Like this country chooses when to like us and chooses when it just decides to just like completely, I guess, put a category categorize us as the, a little figural disease. Yep, that's basically our history, right? Like using um, historically marginalized groups for people's benefits when it helps them and then reducing us when it's not helpful. Um, my next question is, when we were talking, you know, uh, before this recording, you were saying how you felt like there there wasn't really a really defined or well-known or acknowledged path for young people and, and, and especially Asian American young people to go into politics. So I'm wondering for you, did you ever feel pressure from family or community members to just completely stay away from politics and go into something more, I don't know, quote unquote, stable, like being a doctor, a lawyer, you know, that that sort of career? I would say it's not, I guess, just in Asian communities or Asian families too. I think it's like a very social, it's a weird social thing because um, most of the time you hear like, oh, you know, you could be anything you want. You could be a doctor and then they name all these safe jobs, but it's never, it's, it's never like, you know what? I think you could be the president one day. I think you can be a member of Congress one day. I think you have the ability to be appointed to the Supreme Court one day. It's never, yeah, it's never that, because I think is in society, it's like, we think we're so powerless in, this, in the way we do our civic engagement and political process. And so for me, the reason why I urge people so much is because, A, like, you have, if you are a leader in your local community, if you are, if you are a leader in any shape, way, or form, you already have the qualifications. As long as you are, are a strong leader that's empathetic, kind, and are always willing to uh, nurture and care for those that, that look up to you, you already possess one of the most very basic fundamental qualities that we see are, that is very lacking in the most prominent politicians we have today. And so I just urge people to just reevaluate, re reevaluate their potential, reevaluate you know, where, where the sky is the limit. Okay. Okay. So you're, so you're saying basically that, um, young people shouldn't put themselves in a box early on when thinking about like what a politician traditionally is like. Most, yeah. Well, I mean, we're starting, we're now seeing a lot of like first. We're now seeing a lot of like, I mean, we have, I think we're, uh, uh, representative, representative like Cori Bush, she's the first 
uh, I believe, I don't know, don't quote me on this, but I think she is the first Black, uh, Black American um, to represent the state of Missouri, I believe. Um, don't, I mean, there's always a lot of these high glass ceilings. And yeah, they, they may look intimidating and potentially unbreakable, but there's always a viable path. You just got to believe that there is. And you just got to sort of, I guess, manifest it on your own where you just don't, don't, I guess I would say in a sense, don't doubt yourself to where your capabilities and, and where your capacity can lead you. Hmm. And, and do you think like this, do, do you feel like the fact that these um, glass ceilings can always sort of be broken and, and th- the fact that we're continuously having firsts in the realm of politics, do you think that's one part of why politics excites you? Well, I would say, you know, it's very, it's a very, it's a very exciting manner just because we're finally seeing more of our representative body of government actually reflect the people they're serving. So I would say, yeah, I, I love seeing strong women finally taking these leadership roles and men taking a back seat and allowing other groups to, to finally have a say and a seat on the table. I mean, like, I'm from New Mexico and we were one of the states where, at least in this election, we were able to elect all three members of our representatives that were all women of color. I think that should be something that should be celebrated very heavily. But I also think as well, considering these first, you also have to look back at like the American history and how all these other elements came into play, these barriers, these obstacles. So I would say, yes, these first are very celebratory, but you also got to look back how much strength and just perseverance and how much they probably endured from trying to, you know, become the first of any anyone in, in their position. Yeah, so the, the last time we talked, um, you also said something along the lines of uh, many of us feel really, really close to the politicians that we see constantly in the media, uh, whom we've never met. Yet, at the same time, we are so distant from the local politicians and leaders in our own communities. And I completely agree with that. Like, I I don't think I knew of, like, my representative in Missouri until this past November in the election. So, yeah, just, like, tell me more about your thoughts on people like not knowing who their local representatives are and do you feel like you've also tried to get involved in local politics in either New Mexico New Mexico or in Richmond yeah so I okay <laughs> this is so funny because I I I I sometimes think about this and I, I just laugh at myself so we have a federal government and, and you know, it's, it's where the president is and, and that's where most people, you know, think where government is just at. That's like it. But in all 50 states, the governor is the president of your state. We, there's also local, uh, there's also each state has their own Supreme Court. Each state has their own like little mini Congress that they have. So each state has a really uh, a replica of what we see in the mainstream politics. And so the reason why I uh, the reason why I said that is just because those people they they run your school board they those people they they decide um, you know uh, what state laws like the state's government influence is not that tiny and I would also say too is just that the reason why you might want to pay attention to just these very local politicians is just because they they are a lot they're a lot closer to you than you think like they decide uh, what source of electricity you get what the the water that you get is it clean is it is it viable um they they really dictate um a lot of these like very mundane things that in life you don't think are very important but you do go through so for example like florida just florida state government just said yes to a 15 dollar minimum wage that is huge. A lot of people cannot economically, it's just not economically viable for the $7.25. Like 
like for New Mexico, it's $2 more than the federal wage. And that I know helps out a lot of people just by like these small incremental laws that you often see taking effect and their influences are huge, but they're just not being recognized just because a lot of people just care more about federal than state. Would, would you ever consider running for something, John, in like New Mexico, like in your local community, like running for a public office? I, I, um, I thought of that. I thought of, uh, I thought of, you know, I guess here's a barrier that I, I think I feel, uh, maybe, maybe other people that have ran for office too, is that it's like, oh, like, am I qualified? Am I worthy to do this? Or am I, do I know enough? Um, I'm not going to, like, my opponent is so much more influential and prominent. Like, they have all the resources. Like, you, you feel like you're under, like, you, you, you're, you, I feel like it's just, like, there's these, a lot of these feelings that you're undermining yourself um, in this just because politics is, like, deep cut, like, throat competition. There is absolutely, like, no, like, if people could come after you, they will. Like, it's, it's a very, it's also very, very invasive too like people know like all like maybe your dirty secrets that you didn't want to like put in the air or something or whatnot and so like I can see why people just don't want to run just because in that spotlight it's like no matter what you do or try to represent or what what things you're trying to put out or what what what, what will you say you'll offer as your as your like uh, very important uh platform and it's like very intimidating it's very like it's very frightening to be very honest um, I remember like looking at this uh, New York Times article by AOC. She said that she wasn't even considering rerunning for re-election just because like the way that her party was against her, the way that, I mean, most of America is against her, um, even if she is also fighting for them. And the way that like, you know, it, it, it takes like a very like psychological toll that most like, I mean, there are, there are less than like 12,000 people, I believe, that have been members of Congress and and members of these federal, like state, I mean, federal government position. And so it's like, the feeling is not universal. And I guess when you're, when you're all alone and, and you feel all these like, very like daunting um, elements in front of you, it's, it's not easy to combat. Yeah, I feel that. I mean, I feel like politics and the political realm just brings out a lot of qualities in people that I'm just, I just don't support. And I think it embodies a lot of actions and behavior and qualities that I just would never want to see. I just think it it is a very, very scary realm. But at the same time, like, we need, like, just a very diverse group of voices in in political power. So I, in this sense too, it's just like, yeah, we do, we do need these voices at the table, but that's where we get down to like, really like the equity, like, where did you start compared to where your opponent started in life? Like if your opponent had parents who knew about the stock market and, and were like, Hey, we're going to like saturate this knowledge into you. Then like, you're practically like already ahead than like most children in this, in America, just because you already have this like very viable financial, like, uh, knowledge. And so that's where I say equity is where it's needed most just because I just would say like most, for the most part, most families or most children don't go into these political fields because if you, if you don't win, it's like a big loss. Like you lose a lot of money, you lost a lot of time and you're probably, you like, you've been in the spotlight. So it's like, how do you, I guess I, I don't know. I've, I've never personally experienced, but like just thinking about it, it's like, you've been in the spotlight. So it's like, if people recognize you and it's like, you're trying to like, I don't know, apply for things or re- try to re- reintegrate into like this private citizen that you like once were, I don't, I don't know how that like stabilization will feel. And so that's why like, when it comes down to it, like I say more equity and more investment back into these communities are more needed so that we do have these voices so that when, when they do run, they're not going to hit like a rock wall and there's no safety net for them to fall back on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's definitely, definitely something to think about. Um, I, I also want to ask you about your experience at Earlham so far. Um, 
Do you feel like being at Earlham has stifled your political engagement or do you think it's like totally other end of the spectrum motivated you to be even more political? Because you, you go to school in Indiana. I've never been to Indiana. I don't know what it's like. So maybe you can, maybe you can tell me a little bit about it. I mean, I go to Indiana for school, yes, but I've only been to like, I, I think it's, uh, I, yeah, so Richmond is a very, very small town. Um, so I, in a sense, to, in, in, in sense of numbers, so Albuquerque as a city, we have about 500,000. In that very, very small, small city, it's only 30,000 people. So when I got there, I was like, where am I at? Like, where ge- geographically am I at? Like, don't leave me here. Like, take me back. And so, uh, I mean, not to not to just, you know, like, say bad things about poor towns. I think they have a very, like, this sense of community, which I, I really wish were more prominent in bigger cities. But I would say, like, I guess that move, just because I've always been, New Mexico has always been a very democratic state. So to move into a more Republican, I mean, like, the, the, the thing is, is that, so the congressional district that Erlen is located in, it, it, that district is being represented by Mike Pence's brother. And I was there and I was like, what are these like coincidences? Like, I don't know, I don't believe in that stuff, but I'm like, you just can't like make this stuff up. And so to be in a, a community like that, um, I don't know if you read this book, Angelina, but there's this book called uh, Strangers in Their Own Land. And I, I, it's made by this, uh, I think, sociology professor from UC Berkeley, California. And it's basically where, you know, these were, I, I guess if I would describe myself where I am politically, um, I am a liberal or a progressive. Um, so to, I guess to sort of uh, have a meaningful dialogue and a respectful political conversation with, um, you know, those who supported uh, President Trump or those who are more conservative, um, you get to really, you get to know the humanity behind the 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 politics, just because you know there's there's a lot of like uh, there's a lot of factors that go into how you you uh, you are where you are in the political spectrum, and so to know who they are as a human was very was it was very important, just because you see where they're coming from and you see why maybe they're they often feel left behind or very angry at the government for certain policies and stuff. And to not just to be so fast to judge them based on just their superficial uh, uh, political reputation. Okay, so like, what do do you know? Sort of, when when you're referring to having conversations with people who have like different political views as you, is that sort of like within the school or like in the town of Richmond itself? Oh, yeah. So. Um, it's, it's within the school, so you get to see it, um, but yeah, whenever you're in, um, whenever you're in these, uh, whenever, I guess when you're in these, like, college institutions, one thing that I really noticed was just that a lot of these people that did support Trump or, 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 um, are more conservative, like, no judgment, they often are more shy or they feel like they're more, they're more like a social outcast because, you know, nobody wants to be, like, crucified like how they think and so because it's such a very polarized environment once you pull them in and make them welcome and just try to stay like try to make them understand where you're coming from too it creates like this mutual establishment of of i okay i see where you're coming from i thank you so much for being respectful um and they they like this this demonic i guess it's like this this like very like hellfire like demon reputation of like you know like uh, on both sides of the political spectrum is is kind of, you know, the walls are going to finally, like, go down. And so um, just because we're all Americans at the end of the day, you know, Republicans or Democrats, this, this whole country, we still want it to be unified. We still want to have mutual understanding. And, and just because I just see it as, like, in, in, in a world like this, we can't have an America without either side. We have to sort of, do uh, we sort of have to be on the same page? It just requires a lot of communication and an open mind, like a, a really open mind. Like don't don't be so fast to just target and just demonize whatever the other side thinks. It, 
Okay, I have a couple of questions for you then. First question is, do you feel like unity is even possible? Um, and you can sort of choose to decide whatever you want unity to mean. Well, I, I say, I say understand, but you don't uh, like at the end of the day, <laughs> like you don't you don't have to like change anything about what you what you decide to believe or not. That's at the end of the day, just because um, there are I believe I to, I tell this to people on the inside. I believe there are fallacies towards towards your your thinking or your political thinking, just because if we're saying because I I remember seeing this really great. Um, I remember seeing this really great like TV segment and one of the one of the spoke or one of the commentators was like unity is great but freedom is better because every time when there's a call for unity there's always a group that has to sacrifice their freedom in the name of unity in the for, for the sake of unity there's always something there's always at least for marginalized communities there's always something that we our needs are always have to be sacrificed for the so-called unity or to uphold the status quo and so when I say being, being engaging in these respectful dialogues, I mean, like, get a sense of, you know, who these people are um, and, and try to at least try to make them understand just because in this sense, in this era of just misinformation and disinformation, there's often like you, they often have these like um, misunderstandings. And so that's why what I mean by saying communicate, but in a sense of unity, um, I don't think we'll get there anytime soon. But I say, I say, unity can only be reached when when marginalized communities have their liberation and are on the same equal playing field as every other person in society. That that's when I could say we can reach unity there. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Um... Do so you feel like going to Earlham has taught you and helped you to be a better communicator with people who don't have the same political views as you do? At least I try to be. Um, I, I, it's a, it's a life, it's a, it's a work in progress, but, um, you know, you don't always want to make, you don't always want to like outside these people because we need these people to also have this democratic process function. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I'm also trying to be better at because like, I of course have my own opinions. Other people have their own opinions. Um, I don't know. It, a tough thing to communicate I don't know <laughs> it's really hard I I see where you're coming from it's just I guess in a sense you you have to I don't know uh you have to just have a lot of patience within yourself too and just mark your boundaries um whenever you're done with it just say hey I'm at the point where I'm about to explode and fume at you um I gotta go I gotta go. I gotta leave <laughs> So like mark your boundaries in this too. I'm yeah, I'm I'm saying that this is this is something that both both sides are trying to do. Um just because, you know, I would say I would say because of Trump, we have this very like split division. I mean, he literally says blue and red states. He doesn't he doesn't refer to this country as America. He refers to it as, well, these democratic cities are just trash. These Republican ones, you see how you see how like God mightly they are, go Republicans. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, it's, it's now for the work to like really like unlearn that. Mm -hmm. Definitely a lifelong process because it's like you have, you know, you have your own core moral values. And of course you don't want to compromise that. But at the same time, like you want to be open to hearing other perspectives, perspectives, like I don't want to lock myself in into thinking a particular way and uh, just like following a particular group or following a particular party, you know? So I want to be like, I want to have my core beliefs, but I also want to be malleable at the same time. Exactly. Give room for criticism wherever it may be. 
Mm -hmm. Okay, so John, next I want to ask you about your uh, LGBTQ identity because that's how we first got acquainted with one another when you reached out to me. But um, yeah, do, do you feel like your LGBTQ identity pushes you to engage in politics and also just like has your queer identity been a big part of your time in college so far? I know last time you were talking about um, the group Black and Lavender, so feel free to also talk about that. Yeah, so I I would say, you know, just as anyone going through, anyone in the LGBTQ community, um, when I came out, I thought that was like kind of it. I was like, here I am, here's my truth. Like, you know, you feel this like weight lifted and you know, as much as, as much of, I, I can't really offer anyone that isn't, that doesn't go through this, like, very, like, heavy and painful process, this sort of sensory experience of, like, what it feels to have, like, this lifelong secret, and then to, like, have the courage to, like, blossom it out into the open, because you see, you see the, the bigotry, you see the rhetoric that comes if you, if you decide to really disclose that part of yourself, out into the world. And that can sometimes be fearful. But for me, I was very lucky in the sense that, um, I mean, my parents are very conservative in, in the way culturally um, and politically as well. And so uh, it took them some time. Um, and, you know, whenever you're going through this stuff, you have to give people time just because um, it, 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 sometimes, I don't know, I, I would say in a sense too, um, the reason why, um, being able to really blossom your identity as loud as, and as prominent as much as you can is because, yes, marriage. Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how long we're gonna have this marriage law soon with this new appointment, with this new judicial appointment. But you know, marriage is marriage is nice. It's saying that our love is legitimate and valid in the eyes of everybody in this country now. Like you, it's 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 nice to have that affirm and support, but. It's like sometimes there are discriminatory practices in place where we can't own homes. So to say like, you know, to say that uh, we're at like this nice stop is just to say like, oh, so nothing else matters. <laughs> Great, <laughs> we love that. Um, so that's why, I mean, and even in, in the most, and even in the LGBTQ world, like drag started out as political, you know, before it became this entertainment sort of uh, field you know, people, I mean, going back to Stonewall, like, like, there are these pieces of history. And then I guess, too, like, people have to know this history. People have to realize, like, what, what did it took? Or how much of a political cost that we our our predecessors had to pay for us to actually reach this place where, you know, they would be smiling. Um, but they, they sacrificed their own lives and bodies for this. Yeah, when you mentioned uh, Amy Coney Barrett, I was like, all right, yep, we're definitely going to go into that. Um, but yeah, do you want to also talk about um, Black and Lavender? Do you feel like that group on campus is a big part of your identity on campus? So um, one of the, so I, I came in and the group is already established, but the, the history behind Black and Lavender, at least at Earlham, was that, um, just cause, you know, um, so intersectionality plays a lot more roles closer than I guess anyone thinks, because the original LGBT club there, it was just all white Americans. And, you know, and obviously white Americans don't know the I guess the, I I describe it as like like really just like so as people of color the first layer we experience racism right and then on top of that we also experience homophobia and then if you're a woman in the LGBT community or if you identify as one you can experience misogyny and sexism and like most of these barriers it's like like for as as one singular person it is hard like God Lord like I want an escape like I it's like Sometimes, and then when people come at you in a very undignified, a very rude way, you don't know what, which one, or it could all, it could also be just all of them. All this accumulation of just hatred just spewed at you. And so the reason why Black and Lender was created was because 
we needed to have a community uh, where people understood that there was more than one avenue of hate coming at us, where our, our LGBT identity wasn't, you know, it may or may not be reason why people look at us with these weird eye looks or, or they may just, um, they may just have these like purposeful physical reactions at you or just, um, yeah, I would just say the purpose of that was just, just have a space for at least people of color um, and, the, and the whole debacle too. So I guess going deeper into it, um, one of the more things was that at least the original LGBTQ club was like, well, why do we need to be split? Like, why can't we be all together? Like, why, why do we need to have the sense of division? And at least for the club makers um, uh, from their own telling, they, they were saying, we're not trying to divide anything. It's like, I, in a sense, white Americans, wherever they go, there is always a space that belongs to them. But to ask for our own space, we're not asking for too much. We're just asking for a place or like at least a shelter where, uh, or a sanctuary where, you know, we can find people that, that have these identical or very similar experiences to us and where we can feel, or where we can, where we can confide into because they know where, or they know where this is all coming from. Right, right. Yeah, that that's, I think, you know, having those spaces are definitely important. Um, do you, during your involvement in Black and Lavender, do you think it has been a very, like, core central theme to the group to talk about intersectionality and, um, you know, how race and gender uh, and political engagement and action are like intersecting so when i first got into the group just because i i i've never maybe it's just in high school when i did come out to like all the staff and professors and the other and my other colleagues um you know i i was never in any present lgbt clubs like i was never like a really full, I, I i was more of like a honorary member but i wasn't a fully the fledged in member. And I remember a teacher coming up to me and, 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 you know, he, he also expressly publicly came out, you know, um, you know, what his identity was. And he was like, that's interesting. Why aren't you in it? Just cause there's no people of color in it. There's just white students. And I was like, I was like, you're a giant, you're lying. Like you're joking because the high school that I went to, it was so diverse. There was more than 26 spo languages spoken in there. So I just thought like, why, why did nobody, you know, go into there? Like, I just, I, I mean, to me, I just never felt comfortable with it. But I think, um, I think the more reason why there needs to be like a black and lavender, just cause I guess you need to also feel, just cause sometimes being the only, only being the only one of, of anything in the room can feel very daunting. And so, in a way, in Black and Lavender, we always have these. It's always, it's actually a very chill environment. Um, we we ask like, oh my God, how's your day and all that stuff, and and just like, and just you know like, um, like what's on your mind? Like, still out, still to teach this, you know. But in our in our more serious discussions, I mean, if you look at our representation, like, there's not very many people of color being represented in the LGBTQ sphere of Hollywood. And then even if they are playing, they're not really LGBTQ, which I'm here and I'm like, so if you were to cast me as a gay person playing a straight person, I don't know how that would work. So I'm just wondering, how do you think that works reciprocal wise? Like just, just switch around. So I'm here and I'm like, if, if you're not authentically living the life, how do you, how do you, how, how do you think you will be able to portray uh, a character from our community like that? So to me, it's like, there still needs, there is still a lot of work, but we also need to also identify like, yes, as much as there is progress, we're not like there, there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. De yeah. That's definitely another very big conversation about representation in Hollywood. Um, but kind of going down the path of um, LGBTQ rights, I also wanted to talk about Amy Coney Barrett and 
this danger of a lot of rollback on LGBTQ rights, reproductive rights, same-sex marriage, um, among other. Oh, we scared. <laughs> yep, it's definitely a very, very scary time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't really know, like, what we common folk can do right now, but like, what are your thoughts and everything? How have you been feeling about this? Um, and do you think this, like, do you think there's an actual possibility of um, Obergefell v. Hodges being rolled back? I, okay, so there, there are multiple ways you can look at this. So if you want to look at it at the most pessimistic and most negative way you can possible, yes, we, <laughs> uh, there is a lot to be scared of. Um, just because, um, I guess setting aside like all the court rulings, we've literally lost democratic norm because, it, because again, history plays to this. Because back when Abraham Lincoln was being reelected, he he allowed people because his because the because the appointment was about a month away from the election. I don't even know how much, but it was close. And so he allowed people to choose the next president, and that next president would choose the next just because his time was his time was coming up uh, almost as over as president. So, so I would say we're losing democratic norms like just left and right out here. And not only that, we also have to look at the huge like every every time, but like. How, how, how is the Senate gonna squeeze in this judge in like a matter of like two weeks when like people are hungry, people are starving, people are not economically like stabilized, like people are like dying out here. How are you just gonna push in your agenda when there are 250 plus Americans just trying to just navigate and just, I mean, that are dead, but like those families are just trying to navigate and try to find this like uh, try to find like a light at the end of this tunnel. And we, if we also look at it more, I mean, like, I think uh, yesterday, I don't know, there was another new support of Mitch McConnell in the Senate squeezing in, like they, they had, they had, uh, they, they pushed in and appointed a lifelong judge on a circuit court in 30 hours. That, I don't know about you, but that's not very democratic. And to also look at it in a way too, there are solutions, but the solutions are very, <laughs> at least in the way I see it, right now, if we're able to win both those Georgia seats, if we're able to have a, 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 a Congress that's democratic and a democratic president, we, we can, we, it's, it's, it's legal to expand the court and to appoint more impartial judges. Because as you can see with all these appointments, um, the, this judicial system that was supposed to be impartial is now being more, it's being used as a political weapon or, or whatever political agenda these people have that's being more conservative. And so we can expand the courts and we can add more people to fill in these seats. Or the, I think the least viable way is that we would have to come out in strong numbers every two years to, to at least keep the White House and Congress to have people that will actually fight on our behalf in, in those positions of power for, I guess, for the rest of our lives too. So, I mean, there are ways, it's just, I feel like at least, at least the last solution I mentioned is not gonna be very viable. Um, and then I just feel like, yeah, I just feel like, I would just say like, yes, it is daunting, but there are, there are possible uh, routes and avenues you can do with this. Um, or if it gives you more hope, Angelina, um, whatever the Supreme Court like overturns, Congress and the president can make it as a law. And if it's a part of the constitution, then the Supreme Court has to uphold that. So I guess that's also another nice thing about checks and balances is that there's many alternative routes and ways you can go when at least one branch is being um being used as a weapon for any political agenda out there i just highly doubt that the legislature would make it a law. like i i don't see the thing is like i'm 
interested in going into law, but there's like so much that I, that I need to learn. And honestly, I just want to get like a law professor in here and be like, uh, is this possible to, you know, for, for the decision to be overturned? But I don't know. It's just, it's just a tough thing because it's like, it's practically impossible to fully remove political and ideological bias from oh yeah judges minds and from the supreme court so So that's 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 where we can also talk about term limits and be like you only got 20 years and that's it you gotta go once you're there for 20 years you ain't you ain't ever going back no 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 that we can talk about like term limits and and like maybe change the 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 at least the contemporary outline for Supreme Court judges, like, every, or we, yeah, I mean, there's, there's many ways, at least, at least right now, I foresee that they can go through with this. I mean, they don't have to, like, do, they don't have to expand the course that they want to. They can be like, Amy, you only got, like, 10 years, girl, and that's it. You're not, you're not, no, no, you're not going to rule over a whole generation. No, ma'am, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. Like, so, I mean, there are other avenues and stuff. I would just say, keep on your toes, keep being vigilant. And I know, I mean, like, there's a lot of things on the line. Um, but that's why, again, all these elections are important. Because if you don't, if you don't contribute, this political realm is not going to reflect what you want. Mm-hmm. No, that's so true, right? Because when you're electing a president, like, you're not only electing the person in the executive branch, you're also electing the person who nominates Supreme Court judges. You're, you know, when you're electing a senator, you're not just electing like a person in the legislative branch, but also someone who can confirm a Supreme Court nominee. So it's just like, it's not, when, when you're voting for one person, it's not that one person that's at stake. You know, it's like a lot of different avenues within the political system at stake as well. So you're very right about that. And I don't see, the thing is, I feel like no matter how much that message is being said, every two years, I, there's always, the, I, I feel like you gotta come up with some creative alternative way. Like you gotta like pull stuff, whatever, whatever you got to be like, I don't know how to tell you this, but you need to vote. Like if you got the ability, you need to go to the polls. I don't, like make the time, sis. Make, if you if you can if you can plan out your whole life in a week, you can go to the damn polls and plan your whole future. Okay, like don't. It's uh, it's just it's so frustrating because people often don't acknowledge the importance or or just they just they just don't care, and it's like. And I just, oh, it's just, it's just uh, mind boggling on, 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 on the way an average American voter thinks because every campaign season, like you see, instead of, instead of investing into like, I don't know, like community and, and, and volunteer outreach, we're investing into like these like dumbass ads that are like, vote for me, I'll lower your taxes, end of story. It's like, that's it. That's not. Oh, all right. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we can only do the best that we can in in getting people to turn out and vote and be politically active. But after that, like, there's nothing really we can do, you know, like, we can call as many people as we want to encourage them to vote. We can write them as many letters as we want, but ultimately up to them about, you know, whether they want to participate or not. Um, And just also kind of going back to uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Like, I don't know. I just have a lot of thoughts on that that I want to parse out. Maybe this isn't the space to do that. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's just very worrisome. And I mean, this is a very contentious issue in like my household obviously like a ton of households across America, across the world, clearly on the big stage in, in, uh, on the Supreme Court, but I don't know. It's like, I just don't understand why people have, like, 
people have religious beliefs like that's cool but I don't know it's like okay so two people who are of the same sex slash gender they want to get married like how does that affect you like how does that infringe upon your life like I don't I just don't understand that if like if we prioritize personal liberty so much just let just let them do what they want like I don't know I guess when people say the word freedom I also think that myself when I also talk about these things I can also be very contradictory and so you know if someone says it to me like I don't know I think you also have to look internally into yourself about that too it's like what what are what are some things that I think contradicts each other like if I value personal freedom but yet I care so much about what that person does in their bedroom it's like do I really or you know what I'm saying like that's something people have to really reevaluate about themselves because if you believe in personal liberty like I need your actions to match with your words and if they don't I can't really connect the dots like that mm-hmm. yep politics <laughs> We love these issues. That was a lot. Um, My last question to you is, what is a piece of advice that you'd give to a young Asian American out there who is interested in being more politically active? So I, okay, so this is more of a life, uh, more of a life thing. So I remember like sometimes like, uh, sometimes you often in life have these like slumps and you're just like, uh, like I don't, I don't have the will or the motivation to do anything. And so uh, there's, I remember I stuck upon this quote. It's like, if you're not where you want to be, why are you chilling so much? And I was like, that was just like, it just spoke to me because it's like, it's like, yes, give yourself the proper time to rest and stuff like that. But you know, if you're not, if you're not satisfied with where you are in life, like, you know, it can always change um, if you, as long as you just don't decide, like, that's, that's where you'll end up forever. And then that's when, that's when we got to, but, and, you know, in any case, um, you know, go, if, yeah, if you're not where you want to be, don't, don't chill out so much, pursue it. And I think it's also invigorating just because throughout that journey, you'll feel, I think rather than the destination throughout the journey, you'll, you'll look back and you'll feel like, oh my God, like, I really did that. Like, I really pulled myself out of the slums to just be be where I'm at in this, like, really, like, more, hopefully, uh, more warmful and joyful place. Yeah, I like that. I really like that quote. Thank you so much for sharing, John. Um, thank you for being a guest on the podcast. Really enjoyed talking to you and getting to know you better. Last thing before you go... If people have any questions about any of the issues that you talked about today or just want to reach out to ask you a question, get to know you better, where can people find you? Yeah, so my personal Instagram is at, so I don't know how to pronounce this, so I'm going to spell it out. (laughs) Uh, So it's flu. Yep, you heard me. The first part of the username is flu and then T-U-R-E-S. Um, I, so I think in Italian, when I was looking at the name, it's supposed to mean butterfly, but then like, I don't know, maybe I just rearranged a couple of letters. So, um, if you know Italian, like, if you hear this, just like send me a DM so that I know what this username and how to properly pronounce this because people have been asking and I just, I'm like, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I just spelled this out for you. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So to all the listeners, if you're interested in, uh, interested in reaching out to John, you can find him on Instagram at F-L-U-T-U-R-E-Z. Is that how you spell it? Yes. 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 Angel Rayner. And for those of you who subscribe to this podcast, I love, I just love Angel Rayner, her energy, her positivity. And once again, I just thank you so much for at least thinking that I I was qualified enough to do this and, and worthy enough to do this. So I really thank you so much for this opportunity. And again, thank you so much for having me. I, this is like the only highlight of my year since March. So thank you so much for that. Of course, John, of course. Thank you for reaching out and really, really enjoyed the episode. Um, to all the listeners, uh, yes, like John said, 
subscribe to this podcast give us five stars you can find homecoming on apple Podcasts, spotify uh you know, or you can continue listening wherever uh what on whatever platform you're listening now but thank you all for listening and i will see you next week with a brand new episode